to chew the Bible. I have to hear this music in the background. Here at Panera. <sighs> get ready to eat a little dinner before I get out of here and pick up folks. Promise I won't sing this time. Promise I won't sing. Well, maybe. I won't do any karaoke. I promise that. All right. Here we are. Here we are. We're in Isaiah chapter 5. The song of the vineyard. I will sing about the one I love. A song about my loved one's vineyard. The one I love had a vineyard on a very very fertile hill. Lots of crazy word. This reminds me of Song of Songs. The one I love had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He broke up the soil, cleared it of stones, and planted it with the finest vines. He built a tower in the middle of it and even dug out a wine press there. He expected it to yield good grapes, but it yielded worthless grapes. So now, residents of Jerusalem and men of Judah, please judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I did? Why, when I expected a yield of good grapes, did it yield worthless grapes? Now I will tell you what I am about to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it will be consumed. I will tear down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland. It will not be pruned or weeded. Thorns and briars will grow up. I will also give orders to the clouds that rain should not fall on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of armies is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, the plant he delighted in. He expected justice, but saw injustice. He expected righteousness, but heard cries of despair. Judah's sins denounce. We're reading on the Christian Standard Version, by the way. I don't know if I said that. I don't think I said that earlier. Woe to those who add house to house and join field to field until there is no more room and you alone are left in the land. I heard the Lord of armies say, Indeed, many houses will become desolate, grand and lovely ones without inhabitants. For a ten-acre vineyard will yield only six gallons of wine. Why ten? And ten bushels of seed will yield only one bushel of grain. Basically... It's not going to be very much output. It's about to be famine. This cute little girl sitting on this table ready to eat this apple. Woe to those who rise early in the morning in pursuit of beer, who linger into the evening inflamed by wine. At their feast, they have lyre, harp, tambourine, flute, and wine. They do not perceive the Lord's actions, and they do not see the work of his hands. Therefore, my people will go into exile because they lack knowledge. Her dignitaries are starving, and her masses are parched with thirst. Therefore, Sheol enlarges its throat and opens wide its enormous jaws, and down go Zion's dignitaries, her masses, her crowds, and those who celebrate in her. 
Humanity is brought low, each brought low, each person is humbled, and haughty eyes are humbled. But the Lord of armies is exalted by his justice. And the holy God shows that he is holy through his righteousness. Lambs will graze as if in their own pastures, and resident aliens or sheep will eat among the ruins of the rich. Woe to those who drag iniquity with cords of deceit and pull sin along with cart ropes. To those who say, let him hurry up and do his work quickly so that we can see it. Let the plan of the Holy One of Israel take place so that we can know it. And say it again. Let the plan of the Holy One of Israel take place so that we can know it. Woe to those who consider themselves wise and judge themselves clever. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine, who are champions at pouring beer, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of justice. Therefore, as a tongue of fire consumes straw, and as dry grass shrivels in the flame, so their roots become like something rotten. Sounds very depressing. And their blossoms will blow away like dust, for they have rejected the instruction of the Lord of armies, and they have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, the Lord's anger burned against his people. He raised his hand against them and struck them. The mountains quaked, and their corpses were like garbage in the streets. In all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is still raised to strike. He raises a signal flag for the distant nations and whistles for them from the ends of the earth. Look how quickly and swiftly they come. None of them grows weary or stumbles. None one slumbers or sleeps. No belt is loose, and no sandal strap is broken. That phrase, sandal strap. It's mentioned a lot throughout the Bible. I'm not going to go deep into that right now. But I know later on in the New Testament, we're talking about, I think John the Baptist mentions about how he's not worthy to even untie Jesus' sandal strap. One is coming that he won't even be worthy to untie a sandal strap. And then back in the Old Testament, we read about sandals are used a lot of times it's like a covenant, a way of like completing business deals, uh, transfer of property or whatever. I could be wrong. Go research on it. Just look up sandal straps in the Bible. No belt is loose and no sandal strap is broken. I'm assuming what they're meaning there. No, none of them grows weary or stumbles. No one slumbers or sleeps. No belt is loose. And no sandal strap is broken, meaning like they're ready to run. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm not going to read too deep into that. Maybe Tony will have some more to say about this. There's something there in that phrase right there, verse 27. There's something significant there, but I'm, my brain is just not really extrapolating it very well right now. I encourage y'all to for you Bible nerds to go read commentary on Isaiah chapter 5 verse 27 their arrows are sharpened and all their bows strung their horses hooves are like flint their chariot wheels are like whirlwind 
Their roaring is like a lion's. They roar like young lions. They growl. I'll be right back. Thank you for listening to Chew the Bible. The podcast will resume in exactly 10 seconds. Chew the Bible, what's your good friend Aaron? We're still in Isaiah chapter 5. Uh, we left off at verse 27, but I want to go back to verse 26. Well, I actually go to verse back to verse 25. And then I find some great commentary on verses 27. And yeah, verse 27. It says, Therefore the Lord's anger burned against his people I'm at verse 25 right now uh, Isaiah 5 25 reading on the Christian standard version it said therefore the Lord the Lord's anger burned against his people whenever it says the Lord's anger burned it's never good excuse me ah, still here Panera just finished eating that's good good little liner liner it's that time between liner and lunch so I didn't really have lunch. Therefore, the Lord's anger burned against his people. He raised his hand against them and struck them. The mountains quaked and their corpses were like garbage in the streets. In all this, his anger has not turned away and his hand is still raised to strike. Remember earlier, the whole reason why God allowed this, because Israel was supposed to be the vineyard that God planted and he wanted them to bear good fruit of works of righteousness and justice but they weren't doing that. they were corrupt and doing all kind of sinful acts and corruption and anyway he had caused them to be exiled and then he now nah, he's gonna send an attack an attack he says yeah he's raised his hand against them and struck them the mountains quaked and their corpses were like garbage in the streets and all this his anger has not turned away and his hand is still raised to strike he raises a signal flag for the distant nations and whistles for them from the ends of the earth. <whistles> Wonder how God whistles. <laughs> Look how quickly and swiftly they come. Now here we go. It says, none of them grows weary or stumbles. No one slumbers or sleeps. No belt is loose and no sandal strap is broken. So I read some commentary from studylight.org. I went ahead and decided to geek out for a minute. And the one I liked the best was from Barnes Notes, because they break it down. It said, none shall be weary. In this verse and the following, the prophet describes the condition of the army that would be summoned to the destruction of Judea. It would be composed of bold, vigorous, courageous men. They would be unwearied by long and painful journeys. They would be fierce and violent. They would come fully prepared for conquests. None would be weary. That is, fatigued with long marches or with hard service. These guys weren't no punks, they would say. They weren't. They were tough, manly men. <laughs> Soldiers. Nor stumble. They shall be chosen, select men. 
not those who are defective or who shall easily fall by any impediments in the way of their march. Nor shall they slumber. They shall be unwearied and undefatigable. I've never seen that word. Um, Just basically not easily deterred. Pursuing their purpose with every ever watchful diligence so much as not to be off their guard they cannot be taken by surprise and then says neither shall the girdle of their loins be loosed the ancients wore a loose large flowing robe or upper garment when they labored or ran it was necessarily necessary to gird this up round their body or to lay it aside altogether the form of expression here may mean that they will not relax their efforts they will not unloose their girdle they will not unfit themselves for virtual vir- vigorous action and for battle in that girdle with which they bound up their robes the orientals usually carry their dirks and swords it means that they should be fully and at all times prepared for action they were ready to fight um and it's complete contrast when we read the story of the prodigal son where um the king his garments weren't girded up because kings didn't run they didn't have their loins and their outfits girded up because they didn't need to fight or run for battle all right the last line nor the latchet of their shoes be broken they will be constantly prepared for marches the shoes sandals or soles were attached to the feet not by upper leather but were girded on by thongs or strings interesting there you go. All right. I'm, so I'm going to read, start at verse 26 and just close it out to verse 30. Once again, that commentary was from studylight.org and it was the Barnes, the Barnes notes, B A R N E S. Alright, he raises a signal flag for the distant nations and whistles for them. Cuckoo! From the ends of the earth. Look how quickly and swiftly they come. None of them grows weary or stumbles. No one slumbers or sleeps. No belt is loose. And no sandal strap is broken. Their arrows are sharpened and all their bows strung. Their horses' hooves are like flint. Their chariot wheels are like whirlwind. Their roaring is like a lion's. They roar like young lions. They growl and seize their prey and carry it off. And no one can rescue it. On that day, they will roar over it like the roaring of the sea. When one looks at the land, there will be darkness and distress. Light will be obscured by clouds. These dudes are going to be some, some, they're savages. Bloodthirsty. That's who's got us sending after these, after Israel. Because of their disobedience. This is where a lot of people struggle with, like, rectifying in their heads. Like, how is the same God, you know, merciful and graceful that we learn, read about in the New Testament? But he seems so, like, angry and ready to punish sin in the Old Testament, like fire and brimstone. this uh, oatmeal raisin cranberry cookie good stuff
Anyway, I think I've said this before, but you have to get all sides of God. You can't just take parts of God of God in his nature. And for him to turn a blind eye to sin would be denying a part of his nature. He always has to judge righteously. Sin always requires punishment, death, and consequences. So, all I got, all I can say is thank God for Jesus. All right, this uh, I'm slowly making that march toward talking more about Jesus. As as we read this, we got to keep in mind the wrath that we deserved that we do deserve was poured onto onto Jesus on that when he died on that cross. So the same wrath that God is sending toward Israel for their sins and their disobedience, we deserve that same wrath. We're we're no better than Israel. Alright, here we go. Let's read these Tony Evans notes. It says Jesus would allude to this metaphor, see Matthew 21, 33 through 46, in his retelling on the story of the vineyard owner, not only would his servants reject him, but they would also kill his son. Mm. So Matthew 5, 1 through 7 is about, is alluded to in Matthew. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1 through 7 is alluded to in Matthew 21. 33 through 46. Woe to Judah, God said in response to his complete disappointment in his people. There are two th- meanings for this terminology in scripture. One is that of sorrow for what has happened to the unfortunate. The second is a warning of coming disaster. This woe is of the latter variety. It's followed by five more pronouncements of woe for various sins. In the midst of these denunciations, God made a declaration relevant to our day. My people will go into exile because they lack knowledge. One major reason the people of Judah would be judged and sent into exile then was that they didn't know and hadn't bothered to learn God's views on life. They simply ignored his word. God wanted his entire people to be a light of his knowledge and a reflection of his glory, teaching their neighbors his truth. But instead of influencing the world around them, they have become imitators of the world. Man. Today, the church should be the primary university for the culture. It should be leading the way and educating the masses since it can interject a God-centered perspective, his kingdom agenda, into any discussion. Everything the Bible speaks about, it speaks about authoritatively. And it speaks to every issue of life. So through all of the church's ministries, people ought to be encountering a God-centered worldview. Oh, man. As I read that, I'm like, I'm reflecting my own mind, like how... In what ways have I reflected a God-centered worldview? If somebody were to examine my life, would they see Jesus or they would see the world? And that's, that's, 
That's a very challenging question. Well, thank you for this word. I pray as I go out here and pick up folks. Thank you for surrounding me with your angels, filling me with your spirit, your power, your love. Thank you for not giving me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Thank you, Lord, that you made me your vessel. And um, I can pour out your love into the people that ride in my car today. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. All right, y'all. Pray for your boy. I'm about to get out here. Pick up some folks. God bless y'all and take care. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned or missed the mark or veered off the path and fallen short of the glory of God or God's perfect standard. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages or the cost of that sin is death or eternal separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans 5a says, But God demonstrated his love toward us or showed his love toward us in that while we were still yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Romans 10 verse 9 through 10 says that if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will not might be, not maybe, we will be saved. For with our hearts, we believe we are now in right standing with God. And with our mouths, we confess that we are now saved. Lastly, Romans 10 verse 13 says that whosoever, anybody, everybody, who calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. So if you never asked Jesus into your heart, or you've walked away from him, and you would like to rededicate your life to him, you can just simply say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin deserves to be punished. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for me and rose from the grave. I want to turn from my sin and trust Jesus Christ alone as my Savior. Thank you for the forgiveness and everlasting life I can now have through faith in Jesus. In Jesus' mighty, precious name I pray. Amen.